Chapter Three of The Man with the Black Cord by Augusta Groner, translated by Grace Isabel Colbron. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Joseph Mueller takes up the Erlock case. Ten days after Leopold Erlock's mysterious disappearance, Dr. Franz Lair, Commissioner of the Criminal Police in Vienna, sat in his office in earnest conversation with his good friend, Lieutenant Paul Erlock. The young lieutenant's attractive face looked worn and strained. After the usual first phrases, Dr. Lair asked the question that had been on his mind since his friend entered the room. "'You're not looking a bit well, Paul. Has your uncle's disappearance anything to do with it?' "'I don't mind your asking that,' replied Lieutenant Erlock with a bitter smile. "'But I'm afraid there are a number of people thinking that same question without asking it. Here, read this letter, the second of the kind that I have received.' this is what brings me to see you this morning not only a desire to chat with you well i wondered laughed lair but you really look as if this affair meant a lot to you now don't get angry i mean it looks as if you were really greatly interested and yet i understood that there was no particular love loss between yourself and your uncle quite right then what's the matter now these letters anonymous letters naturally letters like this are not usually signed lair opened the envelope that was handed him a man's hand disguised what is it he has to say debts card debts other debts difficult father-in-law and a missing uncle that's a rather good combination the uncle will be found sooner or later dead of course and no traces left by which anything could be discovered then the heir can come into possession of his fortune prost malzeit one who knows a rascal and a cowardly one at that said lair when he had read the letter when did you get this this morning "'Will you leave it here with me?' the commissioner asked. "'And you haven't an idea who wrote it?' "'Not an idea, not the faintest suspicion. "'But the clause about the father-in-law is news to me. "'I didn't know you were engaged. "'My heartiest congratulations. "'Can't accept them, I'm sorry to say. "'I am not engaged yet. "'I haven't even spoken to her. "'Why should I? "'I don't want to bind her when I can't marry her. "'She shall be free. "'But you love each other, and there's someone who knows it, "'and who isn't pleased at the fact.' "'Yes, I have thought of that already,' said Paul. "'It was a natural conclusion. It will be more difficult, but not too much so, possibly, to find out just who he is. How am I going to do that? With the help of the lady you wish to marry. Nellie? Nellie's her name, is it? It's a pretty name. I suppose the lady herself is equally attractive.' Paul Erlock smiled up at his friend, a smile of happiness that was tinged with melancholy. "'I shan't try to describe her. What's the good?' what's the good of even thinking of her it only saddens me what's the trouble we can't either of us raise the money demanded by the law her father he's retired now was my superior officer went bond for a friend and got caught what's the use of talking about it but to this matter how can i drag nellie into this how can she help us she can help us very much i am taking for granted that this letter was written by a rival in love what were the contents of the other letter you speak of just about the same as this Umph. The writer has very little imagination and few ideas. It's postmarked Linz, said Erlock. The commissioner laughed. That shows how little you know about those things. A letter can be sent from anywhere through a third party. Under the circumstances, the fact that you are not yet engaged, I mean, the writer's knowledge of your interest in Miss Nellie, and hers in you, shows that he must be someone who is also interested in the young lady. She must know who her various admirers are. A woman always does. You ask her about it. It is the only way. Mercy, what's the matter? Why that deep sigh? Are you really so badly in debt? The commissioner bent over to look his friend in the eyes. 
a sincere sympathy in his own glance. The lieutenant shook his head. "'That's a lie about the card debts,' he said sadly. "'I got out of that by going more deeply in debt to a moneylender. It's a burden, of course, but at least it's not a debt of honor. But how am I going to face Nellie and her father with a letter like this, casting doubt on my honor?' "'Now that's ridiculous,' said Lair calmly. "'An anonymous letter hurts nobody, throws no slur on anybody but the writer. Your prospective father-in-law, if he's a man of sense, will tell you that also.' "'But there's another thing,' said Paul. "'How do I know that the suggestions in this letter are not being circulated as gossip among my acquaintances? How do I know that malicious hints are not being thrown out, even going so far as to accuse me of having a hand in the disappearance of my uncle?' "'Yes, that's a more important side of it,' said the commissioner, holding out his hand to his friend. "'Call on me if there is anything I can do for you in the matter. In fact, I was about to ask you to put the case into our hands, although from another reason.' What other reason? This anonymous writer appears to know so much about your uncle's disappearance that it might be he had a hand in it himself. Oh, it is possible, I say. I'm not yet ready to assert that it is probable. Then you think we had better not ignore these letters? We must not ignore anything that might in any way have to do with your uncle. That's true. I'll be very glad if you will give me your advice in this matter. You see here what the man says. The uncle will be found sooner or later, dead, of course and no trace is left by which anything could be discovered, then the heir can come into possession of his fortune. Lair interrupted hastily. That is very important. Don't you see that this man is in possession of the fact that you are your uncle's only heir, a knowledge which lessens still more the number of those upon whom suspicion could fall? And here, here's another thing. You see this, Prost Malzeit? We use that expression little in Austria. It's a North German expression altogether. Do you remember any of your friends in the habit of using it? Paul Erlock pondered a moment. No, he said then. I don't know of anyone. But there was something else I wanted to say to you. It concerns my uncle's disappearance. About which you probably know less than we do here. The local authorities haven't asked for any assistance in the matter as yet, but the case interests me, and I have been following the developments closely. But I don't see just how I am going to help you there. You can help me by recommending a capable detective. I want a man, if there are such, who would take up the case not merely as a matter of professional duty, but because it interests him. I've heard there are such people. Yes, there are, said the commissioner. But I suppose their services are very expensive? Everything that's really good costs money. The men such as you describe are the rare talents that are sought for everywhere. Hold on. I know the man you want. A capable man? Capable. He's the best detective I ever knew or heard of. What's his name? His name is very unimportant. He has a hundred names and a hundred different disguises, and in every one of them he has done marvelous things. But the name he was born to is Joseph Mueller. A very ordinary-sounding name. It suits the man's ordinarily quiet appearance. He left the force some time ago, but he is still busy as a private detective. I don't suppose I could afford it, said Erlock sadly. Anyway, I should have to suggest to him a rather peculiar method of payment. What do you mean? asked Lair. Erlock flushed hotly and looked embarrassed. "'I... you never thought of me as avaricious, did you?' Lair laughed. "'The last person in the world. What's the trouble?' "'And yet I can't seem to think of anything else these days except Uncle's money, and the fact that I am his heir, and that he has never had any reason to disinherit me, and that he has never hinted at any other disposal of his fortune. Now if he were dead, if we knew he were dead, but you see we don't know, we only know that he's disappeared, and that we haven't found him.' and we may never find him, 
and if we don't then thirty years have to pass before the state will hand the money out to me thirty years i'll be sixty-four then if i'm alive at all i keep thinking of this all the time and-and i despise myself for doing so there's no reason why you should said the commissioner it's perfectly natural of you to feel that way anyone would in your position i quite understand that it is a matter of the greatest importance for you to discover proofs of your uncle's death if he is dead and i think i know what you mean by the peculiar method of payment you mean you want a detective who will undertake the case on his own risk because if he discovers proofs of leopold Erlock's death you will then be in a position to pay him well am i not right perfectly said the lieutenant with a faint smile and i'd much rather you'd say it than i you are ridiculously sensitive continued the commissioner pressing a button on his desk when the attendant entered lair said call up number one two three four and ask the gentleman if he can come here to my office you must telephone Mueller pretty often if you know his number so well said paul Erlock. the commissioner laughed and wrote out the numbers one two three four on a slip of paper it's easy you see he said then turned to the attendant who re-entered mr Mueller will be here in twenty minutes said the man lair nodded and turned to Erlock. can you wait i'll run across to the cafe to say a word to a friend who is waiting for me there and i'll come right back you'll find Mueller a most original person but you mustn't judge of other detectives from him he's what you might call a white crow a very remarkable man in every way he is one of the really wise people in this world those who understand everything and can forgive everything he is almost a rich man now and has a very comfortable little home i visit him occasionally and it is always a most enjoyable evening the woman who has kept house for him for many years is a former thief who has served a term in prison his coachman and his gardener are also released convicts they'd go through fire for him he certainly must be an unusual man he is indeed a man of remarkable capability will not find another like him on the official force we hated to have him go but he has one serious fault that's interesting what is it his heart runs away with him why what do you mean i mean that when he has discovered the criminal solved the problem that no one else could solve then he's so sorry for this criminal that he helps him to escape why that's delicious really it's great it does sound attractive and after all it's practical too for there are several times when he has saved the innocent family of a criminal from shame and disgrace because some of those he warned have taken the matter into their own hands and played the executioner themselves thereby saving time and money for the state as well i certainly am curious to meet such a man said Erlock. i'll run down now and be right back as he stormed up the stairs on his return lieutenant Erlock almost ran down a man slowly and quietly going the same way i beg your pardon he exclaimed hastily without turning and disappeared into the commissioner's room isn't he here yet he asked he's too punctual to be here yet there's still fifteen seconds time there he is at the door as i told you he is very punctual the door opened and on the threshold stood the middle-aged gentleman whom the lieutenant had collided with on the stairs good morning commissioner he said in a gentle pleasant voice dr lair greeted Mueller cordially and introduced the two men the detective placed his hat carefully on the table and settled himself comfortably in the chair which lair had placed for him then he said well gentlemen i am ready what can i do for you the impressionable lieutenant felt a wave of sympathy and confidence fill his heart at the calm steady glance of the older man's quiet gray eyes in spite of the simplicity of Mueller's bearing 
there was an authority about it that seemed to invite reliance on his capabilities. The young officer began at once. First of all, Mr. Mueller, I must explain to you that I am a poor man and not in a position to pay for detective work. Mueller finished the sentence calmly. Suppose we talk about the case, sir, and leave the unimportant details until later. But it isn't unimportant for me, this matter of putting myself under obligation to anyone, continued the young officer gravely. Before I dare take advantage of your valuable services, I wish to have it clearly stated that it is only possible for me to pay for them when, and if, my uncle's death is proven. If he is not dead, it will only be possible for me to pay you slowly in installments, after I have worked off other debts previously contracted. I feel that I must explain this first before taking up any more of your time. Erlock leaned back in his chair with a deep breath. Mueller smiled pleasantly. Well, now you have explained it, Lieutenant, and I understand perfectly. Now let's talk about the important matters. What opinion have you formed about your uncle's disappearance? Then you've been following the case in the papers, and haven't come to any conclusion yourself yet? The detective shrugged his shoulders. Neither have I, continued Erlock eagerly. Although, of course, it is easier for me to overlook this case than it would be for you, as you know neither the person nor the neighborhood in question. A scarcely perceptible smile hovered on Mueller's lips, a smile noticed only by the police commissioner, whose eyes gleamed in response. Dr. Lair took out his cigar case. "'This looks to me as if it were going to be a lengthy conference,' he said. "'Suppose we have a cigar.' "'My uncle was a bachelor,' continued Erlock. "'The newspapers mentioned this point also.' But what they did not mention was the fact that no woman has ever been concerned in his life at all. I am telling you this now, that you may not waste time in the usual search for the woman in the case. Mueller bowed lightly, and the young officer kept on with his report. My uncle had no vices and very few secrets in his life. He was sixty-five years old when his mysterious disappearance occurred, and his life had been so absolutely commonplace that this happening is quite incomprehensible. As to his servants, the gardener Till and his wife, and his housekeeper Mrs. Tunner, were the only ones there at the moment. The Tills had been with him for fourteen years, Mrs. Tunner had been in uncle's service only two years, but she had proved herself faithful and willing, and had given many evidences of the fact that she was not in the least greedy for money. "'May I ask how you know all this about the servants?' put in Mueller. "'I understand that you were not on any terms of intimacy with your uncle.' Erlock sighed deeply. It wasn't easy to get on with him, he answered. He was distrustful and believed no good of anybody. If I showed friendliness or affection for him, he would have taken it for toadyism, and yet he was continually accusing me of ingratitude and coldness of heart, because I did not bother myself more about him. I don't see exactly how I could have done it. I've had very little time to myself since I have been here in Vienna, and I was stationed in Linz before that. My visits to Inzersdorf were necessarily few and far between. I can't say that I was anxious to make them any more frequent, for they gave me no particular pleasure. But when I did go there, uncle's servants were his main topic of conversation. He was no great reader, cared little for art in any form, and knew nothing of politics. All that occupied his mind were the petty affairs of his garden and his household. There was very little he could talk about, but he could talk about his servants rather interestingly. His mental horizon was narrow, but within these limits he was a keen observer. He could talk well about his garden and his experiments with his flowers, and he knew the composition and the quality of almost any dish he had eaten which had particularly pleased him. As these things were about all he talked about when I did visit him, I couldn't help remembering some one or other of his remarks. This is how I came to know that my uncle was perfectly satisfied with the tills 
and with his housekeeper. "'With his housekeeper, too?' inquired Mueller. Erlock was surprised at what occurred to be a particular interest on Mueller's part in this woman. Like the gardener Till, the young officer had noticed Mrs. Tunner's look of anxiety and trouble. He had always respected her quiet reserve and faithfulness to duty, and like Till also, he did not wish through anything he might say to bring more worry and trouble to this woman. He cut in hastily now. Yes, my uncle was particularly pleased with Mrs. Tunner. She was quite alone in the world, which was a quality that uncle liked in a servant, and she was an excellent worker, although she was very evidently a woman of refinement and intelligence above her station. She was the most economical housekeeper uncle had ever had, and when he was sick she took the best care of him. He told me several times that he had never been so comfortable. It does not seem to me in the least possible or necessary to connect this woman in any way with my uncle's disappearance, although I know that the local authorities have considered it a possibility. One must not neglect any possibility in a case like this. Perhaps even the possibility that I might have something to do with it? exclaimed the lieutenant in a tone of irritation. Even that possibility must be taken into consideration. Sir, we are merely talking of all the possibilities which might be concerned in this still unexplained case, replied Mueller quietly. You have told me much of importance, lieutenant, but even you have not been able to shed any light upon the most incomprehensible part of this mystery. You mean the locking of the doors on the inside? Yes, and then when one considers the way the house is built— What do you know about the way the house is built? interrupted Erlock, in surprise which was increased by the detective's answer. I obtained a plan of the house a few days ago, for when four or five days had passed and nothing had been discovered in this case, the matter began to interest me. The lieutenant gave an exclamation of astonishment, and the police commissioner smiled as he said to himself— that was a real Mueller trick. The detective turned to him now. "'You'll be interested to see the scene of the mystery, Dr. Lair,' he said. "'I have the plan in my pocket here. Let's have a look at it.' The commissioner laid down his cigar and bent over the paper. The young officer sat still in surprise at this man who had already taken up an investigation of the case, even before he was engaged for it. "'It's extremely interesting,' said the commissioner. "'The walls are nine or ten feet high.' both garden gates bolted on the inside, both the old gentleman's rooms locked on the inside, and yet he has disappeared. Really, it is quite incomprehensible. Mueller pointed to a particular spot on the plan. Right here, at that spot of the brick wall which lies opposite the gardener's house and the stable, somebody has climbed either in or out recently. How do you know that? exclaimed Erlock. I have been examining that spot. You were there? The detective smiled at this unnecessary question. It must have been a young man, or if not young, still very active. Who told you that? Mueller smiled again, this time quite broadly. I told it to myself, he said calmly. I'm no longer young, but I'm still quite active, and I climbed over the same place myself. You were in the garden, too? Yes, I was there for four hours. Quite time enough to get wet to my skin, for it was raining hard. But I was rather glad of the rain, because it gave me the assurance that there would be nobody else prowling around in the deserted estate. No one saw me go out, either, for I did not leave until it was quite dark. Did you go into the house, too? Mueller shook his head. No, I couldn't get into the house. The keys were at the county station, and the locks were complicated ones. The detective halted with a laugh, and the commissioner, laughing also, completed the sentence. So you couldn't open the doors with your own instruments? Exactly. But I didn't even try to get into the house, nor into any of the other buildings, which would have been easier for it was really no affair of mine. But you did climb over the wall, said Erlock. Exactly. 
I thought I might take that much interest in the matter, and I didn't even do that until I was quite convinced that someone else had done the same thing a short time before. You're quite sure of that? And did you discover anything more? No, nothing more. There was no one anywhere about the place. A clock in the next room struck eleven. Mueller rose. Have you anything else to say to me, sir? I must be in my own home again by five o'clock. No, said Erlock. Only please leave me your address. I am supposing that you have already undertaken the case, and we really must talk about the payment. Some other time, interrupted Mueller. Really and truly, that is only a side issue. Or, if you insist, it is easily enough settled. If it's not possible to discover your uncle's whereabouts or the fact of his death, then I'll look upon the whole thing as simply an interesting experiment. If you do come in possession of his fortune, you can pay me whatever you like. The commissioner is witness to this agreement. But I can't accept any such arrangement, persisted Erlock. Oh, yes, you can, said Dr. Laird. You see, you don't happen to know that our friend Mueller has a perfect passion for interesting cases, also that he is very well off, and also that I do not accept this interesting case under any other conditions, said Mueller firmly. Erlock struggled with himself for a moment, then took Mueller's outstretched hand. Very well, then, but you must give me your address. The detective shook his head. No, you shan't have it. Why not? Because you must not come to see me nor must you write me. No, I cannot explain it now. But I have your telephone number. Mueller gave a start. Please do not make use of it. This is a very important matter, Lieutenant. Please do as I ask. You may spoil an important line of investigation if you will not. You can send me news through the Commissioner, or meet me here, or at any other place, any place except my house, at any time you wish. Also, you can leave your address with me. When he had taken the officer's card, Mueller turned to Dr. Lair. And now I have to thank you, sir, for helping me to get the official charge of this most interesting case. The commissioner smiled. I suppose you'll never lose passion for your work, will you? He said. When will you begin your investigations? asked Erlock. At once. I must make an examination of the greenhouse between now and four o'clock, for I have an important appointment in my own house at five, and the journey will take about an hour. Mueller's eyes shone, and his cheeks were flushed. His whole frame seemed more tense in the excitement of his task. His enthusiasm was contagious. "'Then I must get you the keys at once,' exclaimed Erlock. "'Yes, please. My carriage is waiting.' As the little brougham drove rapidly through the streets, the two men inside sat in silence. Mueller was no great talker, particularly not in the beginning of a case, and the young officer had not yet recovered from his bewilderment at finding the investigations, which he had thought to start, already in full swing. It lacked still some minutes of one o'clock when the carriage stopped at the courthouse in Leasing, but it was nearly half an hour before Mueller could come into possession of the keys. Then he drove the lieutenant to the railway station and returned to his carriage. Now, Heberline, he said to his coachman, drive me to the place where you waited for me three days ago. Again the carriage rolled along the high roads to Inzersdorf, past meadowland and ploughed fields, then again along a stretch of dreary wasteland which was known as the Black Moor. They turned off at a little dip in the road, down a grass-grown lane to a spot that was hidden from the main street by a heavy high willow thicket. Mueller dismounted here and set out across the open land, above which floated a heavy mist. Several paths, some of them almost roads, led across this dreary stretch of country. Mueller already knew the various directions of these roads. He knew also that two stately gardens, protected by their high walls, broke the monotony of this damp expanse of moorland. 
There were a few little streamlets flowing across it, hardly worthy the name, and yet wide enough to need a bridge. Mueller crossed one of these bridges now, it was scarcely more than a plank, and took the path to the left. About a hundred paces further he found himself in an avenue framed on either side by tall old beech trees. The avenue was not long and ended at a high green-painted iron gate in a brick wall. This was one of the entrances to the Erlock property. During his walk over the moor, Mueller had been looking around him cautiously and was satisfied that there was no one within sight. Nothing broke the silence of the dreary spot as he stood listening at the gate. He opened it and went in, remaining inside for two hours. When he came out he knew little more than he did before, but he had made one discovery. In the drawer of a cupboard in Mrs. Tunner's room, a drawer which was filled with old newspapers, he had found a man's silk muffler. It was a piece of cheap, brightly colored silk, of the sort affected by young dandies of the lower class. He had found it thrust in hastily under the papers. This attracted his attention, for everything else in the room showed him that Mrs. Tunner was an extremely neat and tidy person. She must have put the muffler in its place at a moment when she was in haste or greatly flustered about something, for otherwise she would not have been likely to keep the piece of silk in a drawer with newspapers. The last paper which had been put in the drawer bore the date of the 8th of September. The issue of September 9th lay in Erlock's room, and Erlock had disappeared on the night of September 9th. If nothing had happened in the house, Mrs. Tunner would probably have read the issue of the 9th on the 10th of September and would have placed it in the drawer. But on the morning of September 10th all was in confusion in the greenhouse. Mrs. Tunner's own room was in order, but the dining room and Erlock's apartments were in the same condition that they had been from the moment of the discovery. Mueller knew that Mrs. Tunner had not been alone in the house after the discovery until the time when she had left it in the afternoon. He knew also that she had returned to her own room only to pack her trunk, and that this had been done in the presence of a constable. She had therefore not had time to take the muffler from the drawer in which she had thrust it, nor had she had time to put the muffler in the drawer, for she had taken only a few most necessary things with her. Now this muffler must have been put into the drawer on the morning of the 10th of September before the arrival of the police commissioner, and there must have been some reason for the woman's desire to hide it. It had very likely been left in her room during the night of the 9th to the 10th of September, for Mueller had discovered another proof that at some time during that night Mrs. Tunner had had a visitor in the kitchen. A tea service for two people, with remains of a light repast, was thrust in a heap on a corner of the kitchen table. The dishes used were the heavier kitchenware, quite different from the fine porcelain kept for Mr. Erlock. It was clear that Mrs. Tunner had had a visitor at some time in the evening after the hour when she had served her master's supper, for all the dishes used for this meal were clean and in their accustomed places. Mueller was almost certain that he knew who it was that had visited Mrs. Tunner on that critical evening and yet as he walked back over the black moor he felt that he knew little more about the mystery than he did before. But Mueller had learned to be patient. He reached his own home a few minutes before five o'clock. It was a comfortable little old-fashioned house set in a garden, with hedge and wall protecting it from passers on the main street of the suburb. "'Has the new cook arrived?' asked Mueller of the young man who opened the door for him. "'And has Mrs. Grutzner left?' "'Yes, sir.' said the young man, taking Mueller's hat. "'Send the woman up to me at once,' said the detective, mounting the half-flight to his sitting-room. 
He stood at the window, looking aimlessly out into the garden. The gleam in his eyes showed satisfaction with just a hint of curiosity. There was a knock on the door, and as he answered it, the old detective turned slowly round. A tall, gaunt woman stood on the threshold, a woman whose face might at one time have been beautiful, but the lines of it were faded and worn now, and the great dark eyes were full of sorrow. Mueller came a few steps to meet her. "'Welcome to my house, Mrs. Tunner,' he said cordially. "'I hope that we will get along well together. Two such quiet, elderly people as we are certainly ought to be able to make life easier for each other.' He held out his hand to her, and as she took it, two great tears rolled down her cheeks. End of chapter 3